Hey everybody, welcome to Open Door Philosophy, a podcast where a current philosophy major, that's me, and his former high school philosophy teacher, that's me, unpack a variety of philosophical concepts in an understandable way, all towards the purpose of living a good life. Welcome to episode 11. Today we're going to be talking about friendship. Mr. Parsons, uh, last episode you were saying you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, so uh, I think you've reached the end of the tunnel. How does that, how's that been going? Oh, it's so beautiful. I've, I've exited the tunnel, and, uh, and outside this tunnel is, uh, is a wonderland of, of delights. Um, <laughs> so I'm very happy to be uh, out of that tunnel and into the gift of summer. Yeah, it's all good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good too. I, I've been out, out, I realized, about a month, half a month really, after getting done with all the finals. So, you know, despite all the rain that's been hitting Houston in the past month or so, it's been a pretty good time. I've been studying for my LSAT, like I alluded I would start in the last episode. That's pretty fun, where you start seeing your uh, your philosophical journeys have been paying off. So, you know, you don't have to learn all of these logical conditions uh, so that's been fun. Yeah, great time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, it is. Right after this episode, a recording of this episode, uh, we're heading off. Inexplicably, three of our four children have moved within a three-week window. We're talking like big moves, like moving to different cities, moving into a house for the first time, whatever. And so, although they are certainly adults... They have requested that their parents kind of help them come and set their house up, which is very sweet. So right after this is done, uh, we're off to South Dallas. And then a day or two later, we're heading south to uh, to Waco. And then we'll be back home about midweek. So uh, lots of unpacking and organizing houses and hanging things on walls and, and all of that good stuff. So, that's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're never too old to not need your parents. <laughs> I agree. All right, guys. Well, today we are going to talk about uh, a topic that I think is really significant and important to our lives, but people might not think of it as terribly philosophical. And that is the topic of friendship. I I will, however, argue that it is very philosophical. Many philosophers have written in depth about friendship, the meaning of it, the purpose of it. Certainly Plato and his symposium, uh, Montaigne, the great French essayist, uh, wrote a lot about friendship. Uh, But today we're going to take a look at a Roman thinker, uh, Cicero, and take a look specifically at his dialogue called On Friendship. So we hope you enjoyed this particular episode on friendship and helps you reflect on your own friendships and all of that good stuff. So to get us going, like I mentioned, Cicero was was a Roman thinker. So Andrew, I know you've studied Cicero in your classics courses. So how about well, give us a little background on Cicero. Yeah, I I absolutely love Cicero. Uh, some people don't, but they're wrong. Just kidding. <laughs> so Cicero was born around 106 BCE. And if we're thinking about this time in Rome, actually a little, this time in Rome is when he's growing up, I guess is a better statement, is there's a lot of political upheaval that's kind of signifying how his life will end in the future. There's this guy named Sulla who's running around uh, who's being very problematic. I'll talk about him in a minute, but just a little background on Cicero that I think is important. He is not born from a 
particularly wealthy family. I think I would best describe it as kind of middle upper class. So he's not, you know, he's not a patrician, uh, which is important. Just a few centuries or just a few generations before uh, his family wasn't even citizens of Rome, which is a big deal. So when we think about Cicero, I think a lot now we think about him as an order, probably one of the greatest top two orders ever to live, probably the best Roman Latinist writer of all time, just very skilled in that area. And also we think about him as a great politician, but we usually don't think about him very well as a philosopher, which is kind of sad because he wrote a lot of great philosophical works and is something that he quite loved to do. When he was a young student, probably around my age, probably around 20 years old, he was sent to Greece by his father, I think. Not I think he went to Greece, but I think by his father uh, to go study philosophy and oratory, kind of skills to become a lawyer. Cicero showed a tremendous amount of promise as a writer as a kid, and that's kind of why they sent him. Uh, so he was being trained in oratory. He, he was trained in two different oratorical styles. This is all prefacing towards him learning these great traditions of Greece and Rome. So he's being taught by these Grecians who are very well versed in and philosophical topics. And even he goes and studies at Plato's Academy a few centuries after Plato established it. So that's really, really cool. So he's being well steeped in uh, Platonic ethics, big deal in his later life. Cicero said that if God had a language, then he would speak in the language of Plato. Really cool. It's a great quote. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So we can see Cicero is certainly a fan of Plato. And then he also goes and studies Stoicism a little bit, but he's not really a Stoic. I think more contemporaries would call him a skeptic. So that's just a bit of background on that. And then something I think that's really just important, I don't want to spend too much time on Cicero's background, but you know he's writing on friendship in 44 BCE, one year before he died in 43 BCE, he was put on a prescription list by second triumvirate with, you know, Mark Antony and Octavian. So he he knows at this point his life is going to die. He's been publicly shaming Antony and things called the Philippics. So he's really putting all his last works on the line here. Uh, so that's something to think about. Cicero's often kind of said that he's kind of, you know, he's a politician. He goes around and he's, he says whatever he needs to be said. But at the time of his death, when he's writing all of these books on friendship, uh, on duty, on living a good life. They're really, you know, a, an assortment of what he's learned throughout his life. Not something that's political per se, but letters that he's sending to his best friends, uh, his son uh, on duty. He's writing to his son on friendship. He's writing to his best friend Atticus, I believe, who he spent his entire life. It's literally his best friend. Uh, so that's just something to keep in mind that I think is cool. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think, you know, the particular time that he wrote in, you mentioned Sola earlier, and you mentioned 44 BCE, which if I recall, it's been a few years since I've taught it, but that's <laughs> the year Julius Caesar was assassinated. Yeah. And then of course, followed a, a, a great civil war. Um, it was definitely a time of political upheaval when he was living and, and writing. Yeah. So he's, he's the greatest politician of Rome. Scholars pretty much agree on that. He's played both sides. He's played the Pompeian side. He's played Caesar's side. He's even said he, there's proof really that he mentored Octavian from the ground up. So that's 
really cool. And something that I personally enjoy about Cicero, uh, others would disagree, like I said, but he's, he's using all of this philosophy that he's learned throughout his life, the Stoic, the Platonist philosophy in his arguments, but also in just how he's living. Yeah. And to to get us going, I I mentioned earlier that I, well, I didn't mention earlier, I called Cicero a, a Roman thinker rather than a philosopher, because sometimes, sometimes I think this is a bit silly how we play with semantics of, of this particular word. Uh, you know, the other day I was looking up something on um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great American transcendentalist, and he was he was listed on Wikipedia as an essayist, which, yes, I mean, he uh, he wrote many essays and, and did lecture tours and all that sort of stuff. But some people consider him a philosopher. But then I think about other Americans, you know, Henry David Thoreau is often considered a philosopher, but I don't understand the difference between him and say maybe John Muir, who lived about the same time. And he's often referred to as a, as a naturalist. And I'm like, well, Henry David Thoreau is a naturalist too. What makes Thoreau a philosopher and John Muir a a naturalist and, and Ralph Waldo Emerson, an essayist, you know, so kind of back to Cicero, you know, what makes him a a philosopher versus a, a thinker or a politician or or is he all, I mean, he's just all those things, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. We're talking about labels now, but. Yeah, right. This is this is a tricky question. And something that we kind of briefly talked about with when we were talking about Marcus Aurelius a few episodes ago is, was Marcus Aurelius a, a philosopher? In some sense, yeah. In some sense, no. I think those general ideas can be kind of seen through Cicero too. I remember one time I asked my uh, one of my classics, professors at school about who are the great Roman philosophers and he's like there's really none because there's there's not a lot of work being done in philosophy how we think about it like coming up with new schools thinking of these new ideas so can we call Cicero a philosopher in the sense that he's like Plato developing new ideas not really but can we call Cicero a philosopher in the sense that he's uh, developing these ideas, working with these ideas, perhaps even living these ideas. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, to get us going on our on our discussion here today, without diving into his his dialogue at the outset, let's talk about just you and I here for a moment. A couple of questions that that Cicero does eventually address, but one I always think of when I think about the topic of friendship is like, what's the purpose? of friendship? Like, what is its end if it has one? Like, why do we do it? Why do we have friends? What is the purpose? What do you think, Andrew? Well, I'm going to get rid of the philosophical boundaries, I guess, for a second and just think of, you know, I guess when I think of a friend, I just think of someone that I like to be around who I like to spend my time with. And I guess in a certain sense, someone who's almost similar to me. What do you, what do you think? Well, you mentioned in a way, sort of needing to fill the hours of the of our days. <laughs> yeah. we, we would like to, we are social creatures, I believe. So we would like to do that, fill the hours of the day with people we enjoy being around. And those people that we enjoy being around, you know, we, we come up with this word to identify them that, that we call friend. So I, I think that's, that's part of the purpose. Um, Cicero will get more philosophical with it in terms of like, you know, can it elevate us and, uh, and, and, 
encourage us. And, and I do think that is certainly some purposes of friendship. You know, you, you hope that the people with whom you are a friend are people that inspire you and, and cause you to want to be a, a, a better person, I suppose. You know, I think friends are a, are a reflection of ourselves in some ways, and, and that's good. But I mean, you know, yesterday, uh, my favorite tier two English soccer club was playing to be promoted to the uh, to the Premier League. And, uh, you know, I, I called two of my friends who I know enjoy soccer and uh, and we've watched many soccer matches over the years together, called them to come and, and watch this uh, this really big game with me because it was important and I wanted them there. And so, you know, just companionship, I think, is is probably the most practical part of it. You remind we, me of we um, lost, by the way. So it's oh. very sad. <laughs> Another year in the second tier, but that's fine. Okay, I'm sorry. What were you we'll saying? Get there eventually. No, that's right. No, um, I think Cicero says this. I think on friendship. I know Aristotle says this for sure. Uh, so I and it's quite similar. So I think Cicero may have plagiarized Aristotle a little bit, which is okay. But they say something similar to the effect of a friend as a second self, which mm-hmm. is. Which is something cool uh, to think about, I think. You know, it, it's just kind of exactly what we were just saying. A friend is someone that uh, you like to spend time with, you like to share special moments with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well how about this? You know, friend is, friend to me is very similar to the word friend to me is very similar to the, the word love in the English language. We know that the Greeks had many, many different types of words for the word love, whereas in the English language, we just have that one word, love. You know, I love my spouse. I love a burrito. Those are two different types of loves, but it's the same word. And the same with uh, with friendship. Yes, I love my soccer club, uh, but I also love, you know, my children. <laughs> Those are very different. So with, with friendship, I feel it's very similar in a way. We have different types of friendships. So so what do you think some of those types might be? Well, the first first kind of tier division that I think of immediately is like best friend, friend, mutual friend. Think things like this where, you know, you're you quantify, maybe that's not the right word, but you distinguish between closeness of friends by like best. But then I think of like, you know, I think of this differentiation almost where you know, I have my best friends from high school and then I have my best friends from college. And I don't like I think if I tried to think about, you know, what separates these people or if I had to pit these two groups against each other, I don't think I could find, you know, a higher scale one or the other. But something that I was just thinking about, too, is like we've talked about the qualities of friendship and I don't want to cut off the question too, that I think it kind of goes hand in hand, but like also the function of friendship too, which I know we'll talk about with Cicero, but I think it would be nice to talk about before. Uh, I'm both uh, reflecting back your question and uh, proposing a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, too, I, I differentiate between types of friends, you know, use the term best we have these other types of terms that are similar. We'll use phrases like, oh, man, you're a true friend. Or, boy, what you did there. Like, man, you're a real friend. You know, whatever whatever real means. And, you know, we, we have some other words that uh, maybe is like a substitute for friend, like the term acquaintance. 
Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned a friend of a friend kind of deal or friend by association. Right. You know, I also think of like family, like my brother uh, is also my friend, you know, and is that, how is that different than, yeah. uh, so, so, so different, different types of friendships for sure. Uh, we have friends of proximity. Like I know that a lot of the people that I am friends with at my work at school, you know, I, I would not have the opportunity to know them outside of, of work. And so, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, like, if I did know them outside of work, you know, are they someone I would actually want to be <laughs> friends with? And I, uh, certainly that shouldn't be taken in the wrong way. But, you know, sometimes you think, like, how do people become friends? And sometimes it's because of mutual passions that we might enjoy together. And, and like, maybe their passions don't line up with mine and vice versa. But, but we're friends because we work together five days a week, you know, things like that. Cicero acknowledges those types of friendships, not to the degree that we're describing them, but but he does say in his dialogue at the outset, I'm not speaking of ordinary commonplace friendships, delightful and valuable though they can be. So I think that's kind of why, like what we're talking about here, these commonplace friendships, that's not to demean the relationship, but I think all of us can admit that that we have probably just a handful of friends that we we call like best friends or true friends or whatever that we know that, that when, when everything falls apart, right? Those are the people that have our backs and that we can go to with for anything. And it transcends perhaps the commonplace, if you will, types of friendships. But he does say again, to finish his quote, he says, what I have in mind instead is the authentic, truly admirable sorts of friendships. So that's what his dialogue is going to, to focus on is, is that level of friendship. And I don't know if I answered your second question at all. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. What, what was it again? It's Remind just the, the function of friendship. It's, oh yeah. I think it's, I think it's hard to talk about the function just because maybe it's a more of a question to think about throughout the entire episode because, well, I don't know if we have time for side, uh, side comments no there's always time this this is way 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 out of left field anyway so one day i was going to the barber shop the barber you know we were just talking this was this was like two years ago this was when i was still in high school he's like oh what classes are you taking i said you know i was taking a philosophy class and he's like oh i love philosophy so it's like oh that's that's really cool i like that um, and then so he starts telling me about he's really interested in Jewish philosophy. So anyway, I forget why we were talking about this subject at all, but he brought up the the point that like when we describe things in our culture now, maybe, maybe it's just in Western society or something, I don't know. We describe things as like they're like how they look, how they are. So Mr. Parsons, like when I ask you, like, what is a pencil? What would you say? Or yeah, yeah. Well, the first pencil that comes to mind is the good old yellow yep. wooden pencil that is made in Vietnam, and it's a number two. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, with with the with the pink eraser on the end. No, yeah, that's exactly what I thought too. And then he was like, you know, this is a pencil, but when we think about when we're describing this in this way, a lot of these thinkers in antiquity thought of something as their function. So they might describe a pencil as something that writes. Ah, something uh, that you write with. Okay. You can erase with. 
so yeah so that's some barbershop wisdom philosophy but yeah i was just thinking you know we're thinking of friendship and these qualities of like you know these physical well they're not really physical qualities but you know where friendship can also be things like you know taking care of each other when you're not feeling well or having these talks too so yeah <laughs> sure i mean absolutely that's a great point to make so when you say function is that is that kind of kind of equivalent to purpose yeah yeah purpose um I'm thinking, I guess, the Aristotle term of function is something kind of like, yeah, purpose or ultimate purpose. That's cool. Well, there's, there's, uh, sometimes you can't beat barbershop wisdom. <laughs> Earlier in the episode, you probably noticed me mention that, uh, that I was calling this particular piece uh, a dialogue. And we talked about dialogues uh, in previous episodes, especially with Plato. Uh, this is another dialogue. Uh, from Cicero, and and it won't get into the characters, but very similar to Plato, there's there's interlocutors that the uh, that the main character is speaking with, and he's talking to them about friendship, and his his uh, interlocutors, these other characters in the dialogue, are kind of pushing back on him and helping him define, uh, you know, what friendship is and and what its purpose is and its meaning. So if you do pick this book up, and by the way, it's not a book. You'll find this uh, this essay in a collection of essays from uh, from Cicero if you purchase it. In that dialogue, he mentions this quality multiple times, at least four other times that I can think of. He says something very similar to this. Friendship is only possible between good men. And so, and he even ends uh, the, the dialogue with this same, in a very sort of circular way, with the same, uh, same qualification that true friendship can only be had between good people. So Andrew, I know that the that the Greeks and the Roman had certainly had a conception of what they considered the good, especially if Cicero was trained under Plato, who always talked about the true, the good, and the beautiful. What is this good that Cicero is referring to? Great point to point out. So I'm going to answer this pretty quickly, just because I think we've we've definitely alluded to it in a few past episodes. And you're you're absolutely right to to reflect back on Plato because this is exactly where it's coming from. Perhaps a little influence with the Stoics, but four words: to be a good person, you have to follow nature and be virtuous. That's that's the four word guide to a very complicated topic. But you know, following your nature, very Stoic. You're doing the things that are meant to meant for you as a human. And, and being virtuous, you're, you're following through. Cicero would probably say with the four cardinal virtues, there's, there's more for Aristotle. There's like 12 and that's probably what, you know, Cicero would say. Okay. So, so then let's flip that and, and address this question real quick. If, if you have people who are associated with each, with each other, purposefully not using the term friendship. If we have two people who are associating with each other and they are not good people, according to this, Mm -hmm. to this particular measure. Yeah. So uh, do they have a a true friendship? Cicero would say no, not a, not a truest, the truest type of friendship that one can have, like the best type of friendship one can have. So if we're thinking about, you know, how to be the best person you can be, if you're not, 
the most virtuous person in the world or not even most virtuous person in the world, but like if you're not virtuous, you can't be a good person for Cicero. And it's kind of the same way. You can't be like two people can't be the best friends they could possibly be or cultivate the best friendship that they could be if they're both not good people. And, you know, that's not to say that they can't have a type of friendship. They certainly can. Like you cannot necessarily live a happy life but you can experience types of happiness so you can definitely experience friendship but it's not the greatest type of friendship one can one can have now this raises a question that i'm going to point at you what do you think about that (laughs) what do i think about that well this is a bit cliched but when when I, i guess it's cliched i don't know when i thought of this this question and, and, and Cicero's qualification here with the term good. And, and is it possible to have a friendship that's based on something that's not good? Uh, I thought of one of my favorite shows and it's been some years since it's been out, but the Sopranos. So the Sopranos is, is this drama based around uh, the New Jersey and, and New York mob. And I think we could all agree that, most activities that the mob participates in is not good. It's not virtuous. So throughout the, gosh, I think it was six maybe seasons. The thing that was captivating about that show was that you really got into the lives of these people. Yes, the mob elements of, you know, extortion and murder and thievery and stuff like that, of course, was throughout the show. But you you dug deeper into these people's lives, these characters' lives, and and you know we had family issues. We had what do we go do with our aging aging parents and our aging uncles and and these real sort of human situations of these people who were in the mafia doing not virtuous things. And so obviously these people had friendships with each other, and and a lot of those friendships were based on like the, the mutual need to carry out a task, right? Like. Like we need to go steal these DVD players from this uh, from this truck that's going to meet us down on the docks, and you know if 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 the deal goes raw, you know uh, like that dude who's with you needs to have your back in case all of a sudden we're in a firefight or something like that. You know that is that a type of friendship? It's certainly based on very bad things. All of it's bad. There's nothing good about that. But yet, you know, is this a type of friendship? And I guess the answer is. Yes, if that's the word we're going to use, maybe we come up with a different type of of word than friendship. But I would also say that that some of the characters in that show certainly had what I would consider a a true friendship. They genuinely cared about each other, uh, even though perhaps the genesis of that relationship was something not virtuous. When I was studying Cicero a lot for school, I was doing a big presentation on him. And everyone in our class had to do one. And so I was doing Cicero. And then um, a few days later, this kid presented. And his uh, his topic for the presentation was comparing Augustus and, and Tony Soprano uh, from The Sopranos. Or oh, is really? it Tony Soprano? Or yeah, yeah, Tony I don't Soprano. Know. But uh, yeah, so that was that was pretty funny, and uh, so it's it just reminded me of that when you uh, when you raised it up. So that's that's funny. He was comparing Augustus, the emperor. Yep, yep. <laughs> I would have really liked to have heard that. Yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> so, so, so in his estimation, is is Tony or is Augustus basically a, a mob boss? 
<laughs> you know, some some people would argue that. Yeah, yeah. But I I think that there's there's some parallels, like people's names or are uh, Augustus's kids' names or or Tony Soprano's kids' names or something. Oh, like really? That. Yeah. Huh. So it's pretty pretty interesting. It's interesting. I, I've also I've also heard the Sopranos compared to Dante's Inferno. <laughs> um. <laughs> Anyway, that's funny. Yeah. 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 We'll get off um, track. That's good. That's really cool. I yeah, don't know. Like, but, so, but I do think about that as far as like, you know, friendships based on, or at least originating in non-virtuous activity. Like, is that, is that a true friendship? You know, I'm going to push back, but in a friendly kind of way, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, friendships, maybe that I've had or, or these kind of TV friendships. I think maybe Cicero alludes to this anyway, whatever, you know, I'm thinking of like a person who's pretty good, a good person, but is succumbing to natural tendencies, maybe like jealousy or envy, Mm. something Mm. like that. Say like, say that I'm envious that my friend did better on a test than me. Mm -hmm. That's seemingly like it would cause a little bit of tension in our relationship because I might be jealous, they might notice, they might not understand why I'm feeling jealous. And it's going to put tension on that friendship that might not have been there when, if, if I was a good, good person and wasn't feeling those tensions. Now, I think it would be interesting to, to see, kind of like you mentioned, like, how does this camaraderie of depending on someone for your life impact your friendship? Because I never, I never really thought about that, right? Like, that certainly has to bring people very close together high level of trust too. I've never, I've only watched a few episodes of that show, but it would seem like, you know, if you're depending on someone for your life, I don't know. Godfather is not a good example because I feel like everyone in that show dies. Um, (laughs) But, you know, if you're depending on someone for your life and it's that high level of trust, it seems like, yeah, you know, you're going to really have to probably be pretty good friends to, to have that level of trust or maybe vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly times and whether it's Godfather or Sopranos or whatever, you, you also have times when that person who's supposed to have your back bells on you when, uh, yep. when the going gets tough and then there's this issue of betrayal and revenge and you know, all of that stuff. Hey everyone, Andrew here. I know we talk a lot on this show about philosophy, but have you ever wondered how to do philosophy? Please join us for episode 12, where we discuss at length how one should go about doing philosophy. And while I have your attention, if you like what we're doing, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends, which helps build the community around open door philosophy. Thank you so much. And now back to the show. I just had a thought. I don't want to, this is, this is on the topic, not much on Cicero, but on this topic of trust is the relationship something like if you have trust, then you have friendship? Or is it if there's a friendship, then you have trust? It seems like it can't be both ways. Like if there's not trust, then there's not friendship. Well, so this kind of gets us on one of, one of our uh, one of the topics I want to talk about from the dialogue, uh, which is uh, what causes friendships? You know, if you use cause and effect, that that old that old law of causation, you know, uh, if friendships develop, there must be a cause, and so 
actually one of the things I had written down for this was uh, we must have a little trust. So here's what Cicero says about that. Uh, He says, the friends we select ought to be sound and stable and reliable, but such people are distinctly scarce. And besides, it is extremely difficult to pick them except by practical experience. And the problem is that this experience can only be acquired after the friendship has actually begun. That is to say, the friendship comes first and the material for estimating its desirability only becomes accessible later on. It is impossible to to try one's friendship out in advance. So there's Cicero's take on it. It's it's something that uh, you got to have you got to have a little trust when you're starting out with that relationship. Yeah, I think I I was just jotting this down in a a logical statement. So if we're thinking about can you trust someone that's not your friend? I would say yeah, you can, right? If we can trust someone who's not our friend, then I don't really see that there's not like some kind of causal effect there because I can trust, you know, the, the person who's putting the groceries, like the, the vegetables out at the grocery store. Well, I would still wash them probably, but you know, I'm trusting that they're not like injecting them with poison or something, you know, which they easily could, but that doesn't mean that, you know, because I trust this grocery clerk, I'm not just not- <laughs> man. What store do you shop at? It sounds really dangerous. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, right. Like I'm not, it's not something causal that I'm going to trust them because they don't (laughs) poison my uh, bell peppers or something. It seems like if there's friendship, then there's trust. I don't know. It seems like if there's friendship, then there has to be trust that's being grown or something. Well, I think grown is the important word there, right? Like trust can grow. We do have a sort of inherent trust in well, in a lot of things we have, certainly in, in other human beings. I mean, I remember reading an essay a couple of years ago. I thought it was really interesting thought experiment. Person breaks down on the side of a road. They are uh, they, they need some gas. They're in a remote area. You know, a car drives by, and they're like, "Hey, can we help you out?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I need some. I need some gas." And uh, they're like, well, I have a gas can in my pickup truck. Why don't you hop in? Let's go get you some gas. <laughs> I mean, you, and you do, right? Now, part of that might be uh, because of a little mm-hmm. bit of desperation. Uh, you're out of gas and you're stuck in a remote, remote area. But also, you know, there's a degree of trust there. And as that particular experience of getting gas and going back to the car and all that sort of stuff plays out, I suppose you might say that your trust in that person grows as you go through that process of getting to the gas station and paying for the gas and driving you back. And with each small action, trust grows. Trust doesn't diminish until there's a reason to, for, for you to believe that it should. But, uh, but, but I do think we, uh, we have a sort of inherent trust, in, especially inherent trust in given situations. I think that makes sense. That seems like it would... That's a that's an interesting analogy. I was just thinking about it. That would be a scary situation. I almost had a situation like that happen. So there has to be other factors, though, too, right? Other than trust that have to be a part of it. Because I can think of some friends that I might have who, you know, I consider friends, but might have a, a big mouth and I might not necessarily trust or someone I might not necessarily um you know, trust to, you know, there's different levels of trust, right? Like, like I can trust someone with 
returning my pen to me or telling me if there's like a sticky note on my back that says hit me like i i could not necessarily trust someone with my car or my my life okay so some other some other things that cicero cites as being the cause of friendship i think this one's interesting uh one is he says that it simply comes from nature it's natural so he says here when there is a real friendship, no element of falsity or pretense can possibly enter the matter. Friendship simply cannot help being genuine and sincere all throughout. And that is why one is obliged to conclude that it must be a product of nature rather than of deficiency. It cannot, under any circumstances, be derived from any calculation of potential profit. It comes from a feeling of affection and inclination of the heart. I don't know. I, I really hate to hate to compare everything back to Aristotle. I talk about him so much, but I feel like there there's certainly some kind of influence here. Like I'm thinking about this quote that we reviewed a few weeks ago. It's the, you know, humans are um, social animals. Um, and I, I can see kind of this direct influence. I think um, is that in the, that might be in the same passage that the quote that I alluded to earlier was in, but if it is something that's natural, that humans are, you know, meant to be friends with each other, or have this capacity for friendship, it seems, it seems to be true. I phrase that very poorly, but I'm just thinking about what we were saying a few, I guess it won't be a few weeks ago. So a few months ago when we were talking about these this idea that humans are social creatures. So it's almost kind of an extension of that idea. If humans are social creatures, then it seems like they would have to, you know, they have the capacity to be friends with each other or at least to get along. Yeah. And keep in mind too, again, when we're talking about Cicero's friendship, we're talking about the authentic, truly admirable sorts of friendship. So I think by nature, yes, we are social creatures, and so we want to be with others. But then this almost sort of idealized friendship he's talking about, that it doesn't come from any sort of calculation of potential profit, comes from a feeling of affection and inclination of the heart. That would be the authentic, truly admirable sorts of friendships. Because I think we have discussed earlier or alluded to that some friendships are based on a calculation of potential Mm -hmm. profit. No, I mean, that's kind of a cold way to put it, but... Like some friendships are that way. No, I think I was, that's, that seems certainly like Cicero, we we said it's the time of 44. This dialogue is written. It's, well, this dialogue's taking place. And is it like 120 BCE right after the death of Scipio where, where these friends are coming together and talking about friendship, I guess. And so Cicero in, in that time, like the times are upheaval. You can't trust anyone. Um, and in this time too, right? Like Cicero has spent his entire life literally being a politician. And so he's, he's in this kind of place where he's not being able to trust anybody because he doesn't know who's going to go and, and kill him. There's definitely friendships for profit that you can take. And Cicero, Cicero in this moment is the perfect example of why these, these profiting friendships, they certainly have their positives, but like, it's something that Cicero's probably thinking about in this moment and being like, yeah, these profiting friendships might be good, but they're not the only, they're not like the only measure of what a friendship should be. Because if we're only looking at like these friendships that profit, 
probably mutually both parties. Like there's an extent to a time when the profit's going to run out, when one friend might not be popular and a friend might have to turn on each other. Whether friendship's the word we want to use for this, but in the, in the political arena, uh, friendship is, and certainly when you're talking about calculation for profit in the political world, friendship is the thing that greases the gears of getting things done. Right. And, and if there's a, a tit for tat sometimes with that, then, then so be it. Uh, and so, you know, whether we want to call them political alliances, which maybe is perhaps a little different than friendship, but, but either way, you know, Cicero, a great politician, of course, would, would have friendships of calculation. There's a couple other things he identifies too. I don't have a particular quote for this next one, but he echoes it all throughout the entire dialogue. Uh, he says that uh, we become friends with others because we are drawn to their moral goodness, their virtue and their ec- excellence. And, and I think the word drawn is, is what's kind of interesting there with that. In other words, we gravitate towards someone who has a type of moral goodness in them that we find attractive. And also, uh, as he says later in the dialogue, that we also want to emulate, right? So if you think about having friends that you want to be more like, because uh, you see something in them that is morally good, you're like, I would like to improve and become more like that. You know, we're drawn to these types of people because of of that particular aspect yeah and like cicero let's take for a minute and consider why he might think this to be true if we think about if you're someone who's either striving for excellence like you're trying to be virtuous or you're practicing virtuous actions you're trying to be there or you're are you are virtuous yourself cicero would probably think you know you have to practice this um, you have to you have to continue to be virtuous. So putting yourself around virtuous people is going to habituate that process uh, even more. If you surround yourself with people who are unvirtuous, then tendencies are when you are with this person, when you're hanging out with this friend, you're not going to be trying to be virtuous or, or virtuous actions will not be done. And that's going to only degrade from your own goodness. So a cool, cool kind of nod back, I think, by Cicero, but also very practical and understandable way of thinking. Yeah, I think it echoes some some Stoic ideas there as well, right? Um, yeah. That we've seen with others that we've talked about. There's this one um, good quote that I found real quick that reminds me of all of what we've been talking about and uh, kind of l- the last thing that I was thinking about with the Sopranos thing. Kind of funny. Uh, but Cicero says... He's talking about Scipio. He says, from all things which fortune or nature has granted me, I have nothing to compare with the friendship of Scipio. We had one home, one mode of life, and that in common. Not only was our military service, but our seasons abroad and in the country were spent together. So it's hard for us to think of what is this perfect example of, of a true friend, the truest sense of friend. Cicero's understanding it's something like this relationship that the character is having with with Scipio. Yeah, and there's something to say of, of just simply time together, right? In fact, he says, another source of friendly feeling is to see a lot of someone in one's daily life. So, you know, spending time together, it does bring up kind of an interesting question, 
we've had lots of questions today. It does bring up an interesting question about like, you know, long distance friendships where you don't see someone for a very long time. You know, how how strong are those friendships, you know, versus someone you see literally every day or a couple of times a week or something like that. I mean, time spent together is, I think, an important aspect of friendship. All right. So another thing that Cicero addresses is is benefits of friendship. So uh, I've got a, a fairly long quote here, but but I think I think it's a good one. One of the thing that comes from it from benefits, of course, is that it just makes life richer. All right. So let me read this quote. And another of its very many and remarkable advantages is this: it is unique because of the bright rays of hope it projects into the future. It never allows the spirit to falter or fall. When a man thinks of a true friend, he is looking at himself in the mirror. Even when a friend is absent, he is present all the same. However poor he is, he is rich. However weak, he is strong. And may I attempt to convey an even more difficult concept. Even when he is dead, he is still alive. He is alive because his friends still cherish him and remember him and long for him. This means that there is happiness even in death. He ennobles the existences of those who are left behind. That's just a beautiful little paragraph right there about the benefits of friendship, how how rich it makes life. That's just an example of the the elegance of Cicero for sure. And just thinking about this true kind of friendship. This is just for some reason today, it's just reminding me all all is going back to, to goodness. Like friendships make you good and you know like i said earlier if if good is is to be virtuous then it would seem like friendship is the promoter of virtue so when you have these these friends who are making you a better person or 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 when you are a person that your friends can cherish it's not because you are a bad person right it's because you were good you weren't going out and uh cussing out everyone you saw or or throwing a fit like that that might be funny like say say you died and your friends look back and you're like oh yeah that was a funny time but i don't think maybe you would but i don't think that would be someone that i would cherish right like uh, this friend in the truest sense is 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 the statue almost of virtue friendship at its highest extent promotes virtue between two people makes you a better person so yeah it's it's pretty interesting at least that's the way that I see it. I don't know if that's correct necessarily. Well, I think that alludes to uh, another uh, aspect that I've identified with in terms of his benefits of friendships. And that is to keep each other honest, like a good friendship, the type of friendship he's talking about. Sometimes there's tough conversations you got to have with your friend and vice versa that they have to have with you because you're acting a fool or you're thinking in a, in a wrong way or a deluded way. They need to help bring clarity to what you're thinking. A good friend, a good friend calls you out on your BS. So, so you know, to, to identify hard truths and, and that you know, goes back to what you said about being good and being virtuous. Those are hard conversations to have. But man, that's, that's the person to have it with, right? Like your good friends, because you'll listen to your good friend. You may be hurt. You know, you may be, you may feel like uh, your friend's being too critical or something, but you know that your friend's coming to you out of the goodness of of their heart uh, when they have those hard conversations. So, I mean, I, it, you know, to, to pull a quote, 
So it is an essential feature of genuine friendship, both to offer advice and to receive it. The advice should be given frankly, but not harshly, and received with patience and no trace of resentment. So yeah, what, what do you think about that? Keep each other honest. This is how I this is how I imagine it. For Cicero, friendship is something like it's a journey of two people towards virtue. The best types of friendships are one that are it's a it's a journey to virtue. So if you are it seems almost necessary. Like if your friend sees something that's unvirtuous, they're going to hold you to it because that's what makes you a better person in the end. I think this was in some paper that I read on Cicero. Perhaps it was on this topic. I think it was actually, but it was something to the extent of real friendship is free of flattery. It's not something where you have to be complimentative. I mean, I'm sure you could, but so you're not just telling someone what they want to hear, or you're not just telling your true friend what they want to hear. It's what they need to hear. Mm-hmm. And that seems true. Like if I'm thinking of like my best friends, I'm I'm not going to be not going to be easy on them if they don't do good things, because that's just not what a good friend does. You know, if, if a friend, uh, if a friend likes to strangle kittens in their free time, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, that's probably not very good, right? Um, that's that's yeah, actually but maybe an- like you know, you know, in terms of you say your friend is in a romantic relationship and that relationship is coming to an end, you know, and your friend is is in their emotions and they're they're angry and they're frustrated and they want to say mean things about the person that they've broken up with or whatever or have been broken up with, rather than strangling kittens, you know virtuously you could be like hey man like like i know you're hurting but but we got to be virtuous about this right we gotta yep. we got we got to maintain uh ourself right i don't know <laughs> Popped up well, in my head. that's that's not even like that's not even a choice that's your obligation right ah now obligation's an interesting word there it's your it's your duty as a friend mm-hmm. um to be to be this person so friendships come with a sort of maybe unwritten or unspoken duty or obligation? Seems like they would have to. Seems like uh, they would have to to be both yourself a good person, but as your role in the friendship, I guess. Like, I don't have an answer to this. Maybe you do. But it would seem like this obligation is coming from somewhere. Now, I'm torn between the idea is the obligation coming from the role of a friend is it from that 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 way? Is that the obligation, or is it the role as a good person? Now I don't know. Like if Cicero would say, like, yeah, a good person, they would go into the Senate and they would call all of these senators on their corruption, and uh, immediately, like, that seems not to be true, right? Like that's just not your obligation as a person. Uh, maybe it would be for like Plato, but Cicero definitely would not say that. So it seemed like the obligation comes from the friendship. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know where it originates from, but I do think that obligation, that duty does exist. You can't have an authentic, truly admirable sort of friendship without having this obligation there, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it almost just proceeds from the friendship itself, from the establishment of the friendship itself. Cicero goes on in his dialogue to discuss many other aspects of friendship, 
such as, uh, you know, is the, is the maintenance, is the maintaining of a friendship easy? And by the way, the answer to that is no. It takes work. It takes time. Friendships, of course, can happen organically at the beginning, but the maintenance of it over time certainly takes some work on the part of, of both of the friends. And then he also discusses things like what to do if, uh, if for whatever reason you need to end a friendship or perhaps you've outgrown a friendship. He does believe that you can outgrow friendships. He especially points out childhood friendships and that how people change so dramatically from childhood to adulthood that it's very difficult to maintain those types of, of friendships. So sometimes you outgrow friendships, but sometimes friendships need to end. And, you know, he's, he's very gentle about that. He says things like, uh, it is better to unstitch the friendship rather than to tear it apart. You know, and he also says, under no circumstances should a friendship be allowed to deteriorate into serious hostility. So that's kind of how he uh, he wraps up his his dialogue with these other topics. Uh, any comments on those, Andrew? Well, some just something quick. Cicero is almost in kind of a bind. I feel like in this episode because he's saying you can't have good friendships if you don't if you're not a good person, right? But you know, if if you're having these childhood friendships that need to be unstitched. There's something that like one party's unvirtuous, something like that, right? Like you're, you've grown out of a state of virtue, but then that like, how could you have this friendship in the first place? Right. He, he says it's a childhood friendship. So that means a friendship exists, but if you're growing out of them, one party's not virtuous or they've grown out of virtue, but virtuous people, at least in some cases can't, uh, in, in Platonism, I think virtuous people who are actually virtuous can't not be virtuous forever. But this contradiction is kind of interesting because it's almost like Cicero himself. He He's pretend like if we're thinking about who Cicero is, is he a virtuous guy? No, he's not. But he's having this deeply intimate friendship with this, you know, his friend Atticus. He's He's written hundreds and hundreds of letters to this guy. And he's having a friendship with him. So I'm just, you know, this, this might be something for later, but just for the listeners to think about, but it's like Cicero's thinking of the ideal friendship, something to aim for. He, he acts like the real friendship. Like you can't be good friends with someone if you're not in this, you know, good state, if you're not a good person, but almost shows that you can, uh, have these friendships, but it's just a pathway to work on. So yeah, that's all I have to say. What do, what do you think about it, Mr. Parsons? Well, I think the topic of childhood friendships is kind of difficult. I know uh, my wife has a friend that she went to high school with. Uh, so all these years later, they're still very good friends and, and they live in California. Um, so, so, you know, you have that distance and time and they don't see each other daily and all that sort of stuff, yet they're still very good friends. Uh, you know, I have childhood friends who you know, thanks to social media and all that sort of stuff I, I keep up with. But I can't say that we're friends. I mean, we're friends. I mean, my gosh, if I ever saw them, I think we would just fall right back into, you know, the conversations we've always had. But I haven't seen them in decades, decades, like I'm 80 or something. Uh, but <laughs> I haven't seen them in a while, we'll put it that way. And, uh, you know, I think I think sometimes, even though all those past friends of mine from childhood, I believe are virtuous people, you know, is that the only thing that creates friendships and, and, and probably not, you know, that there are other aspects of friendship than just virtue. And so, uh, 
So I think, you know, people drift apart after a while. And I think that's probably a, probably a natural thing. You know, if you want to talk about nature, things are constantly changing. Nature flows. And so people change. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a hard, it's kind of a hard one to pin down. Let me close this out with this, with this last quote here from Cicero. A- Andrew, you've mentioned that Cicero writes beautifully. I wanted to use this quote earlier in the episode, but I, I really wanted to save it for the end. And then we'll go on to the quote corner. But here we go. If a man ascended to heaven and gazed upon the whole workings of the universe and the beauty of the stars, the marvelous sight would give him no joy if he had to keep it to himself. And yet, if only there had been someone to describe the spectacle to, it would have filled him with delight. Nature abhors solitude and always demands that everything should have some support to rely upon. For any human being, the best support of all is a good friend. That gives me goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah, that's nice. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I don't know that we can add to it in any sort of meaningful way. That's a good that's a good quote. So speaking of quotes, let's head on over to the quote corner. All right, welcome to the quote corner where we rate a quote from a scale from one to five. This week, I'm bringing the quote forward. It's from one that I found, I think, on a Reddit page. So that's pretty cool. It's from our friend David Hume on an inquiry concerning human understanding. He says, be a philosopher, but amidst all your philosophy, be still a man. So uh, I think this one was pretty cool. Uh, but I'm interested to hear what you think about it, Mr. Parsons. Well, I really like the quote. It reminds me of some quotes from, say, Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus about the about the role of philosopher. One should be a philosopher, right? Uh, f- philosophy is, or being a philosopher is how we how we can best navigate our lives, right? So, so be a philosopher, yes. But sometimes with philosophy, we can get very abstract. Uh, we can get, you know, very idealistic. We get caught up in Plato's worlds of forms out there, you know, in the ether somewhere, uh, and we forget to be grounded, right? So, you know, be a philosopher, yes, but in all of your musings and thinking about things, uh, don't don't forget to to be a person, right? Don't forget to to be here and be present for life, and and that that's kind of how I read it. So I like it. What do you think? I like it too. I I kind of interpreted it slightly different way. But I think your way sounds probably better than mine. So I might adopt that interpretation. But I was thinking about it almost as like a call for philosophers to refocus themselves on what matters. Kind of like, I guess, our goal for this podcast, too. That's another reason that I chose it. It's like, yeah, philosophy is important. It's all good. But if you're not focusing on how to live or how to live well, how to live best, like what's kind of the point of philosophy, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of very important groundbreaking work in philosophy topics, like math or or logic. Um, there's this one logician that I was reading about the other day, very famous, who he was like so into logic that at the end of his life, he was just like, he went crazy because it's tough, you know. And so at this point, it's like, why is like, why are you even studying this if it's just like completely just ripping you apart? You know, like, why do I have to know if 
like why am I getting hung up on questions like oh is a leaf really green um mm-hmm. what's like if, if there's a trolley and there's five people tied down to it uh on one track and the other there's one person who who like what do I do in that situation like those are fun they're cool they're they're interesting to think about but like when you practice philosophy it needs to be practical it needs to be in in aim of something or at least that's kind of what i think yeah i'm with you on that uh yeah i think you know there's so many fields in philosophy you know consciousness is 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 one that i read about a lot it's fascinating to me i think it's important because it addresses issues related to free will and uh you know if we don't have free will then what's all the use of this talking about following virtues and all that sort of stuff if we don't have choice in our lives so consciousness is an important field but oh my gosh it can get so bogged down into uh so much technicality and science and and all, all of those things are important but sometimes the, those holes are so deep you know sometimes uh philosophers of consciousness for, forget to dig out and and see what what they're talking about, how that how that manifests itself in reality, and why it's important, rather than just trying to prove the point. I, th- I think we're on the same page. All right, so uh, so what are you giving this one? I really feel like giving it a five, but I feel like we've given a lot of fives, and I'm not the biggest fan of Hume, but that's really an odd homin- an ad hominem fallacy, so I can't do it. So, <laughs> huh. I guess I guess I have to go for five. I don't know. I agree with it strongly. Okay. Um, as much, yeah. It's okay. I think it's only your third five. That's good. <laughs> you're being you're being critical. Moderate. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I like this one a lot too. Let's see here. You know, Hume did have a nice powdered wig, and <laughs> and I like that. And he's a Scotsman uh, who wrote in France, so. Uh, maybe that's a detractor. I don't know. Yeah, for for me, the French part would be a detractor. Yeah. But I mean, I like uh, France. Uh, French listeners, please don't, please don't. Uh. Oops. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, Scotland's just cold and wet all the time, anyway. So <laughs> I'd be in France too. <laughs> that's probably a good place to write. Well, uh, you know, just for the sake of it, uh, I, I'm I'm going to give it a four and a half. Um, okay. because, you know, he could have expanded upon what he means by be still a man. Yes. That's my, that's my reasoning behind a four and a half. Either way, it's a good quote. I like it. All right, everybody, that's about it. Thanks for spending your valuable time with us today. We'd love it if you would leave a positive review and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll know when new episodes drop and pass it on to your friends, not just the ones that that are virtuous, but ones that could benefit from becoming virtuous. That's right. We're all just becoming. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to tell us what you think of the show, have a question you'd like for us to discuss or a philosophy quote you'd like for us to rate, just email us at Open Door Philosophy. We will we will take that email in friendship. You can follow all the philosophy on Twitter and Instagram, even friend us there uh, oh. on our website. <laughs> And our website at opendoorphilosophy.com, where you can find many things about the show, including our book lists. I highly recommend that anyone who wants to get more into Cicero, check out Anthony Everett's biography on him. Very cool. I tell you, we're really elevating the, the outro. 
game here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to Kevin McLeod for the use of his free music in the intro and outro. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time. And remember when your life is in need of some philosophy, the door is always open. <laughs> <laughs>